Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ground transportation is something we all deal with on a daily basis, whether it's in our cars, on a bus, or the subway. Navigating poor road conditions during inclement weather can be very treacherous, but new technologies and innovative thinking are working to keep people safe. Today, we're joined by Paul Paisano from the Road Weather Committee of the Transportation Research Board. Paul understands that ground transportation infrastructure is a vital asset that cannot be neglected. With extreme weather conditions becoming more prevalent, we must ensure that the meteorological and transportation communities are working together to pave the way for smarter, safer, and more sustainable methods of travel. Paul, thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, here it comes. If you've listened to Weather Geeks or have sampled it at all, the first question out of the gate to every Weather Geeks guest is, how'd you get into weather? Was it an experience, something that happened as a kid or something you happened upon later in life? Yeah, um, at the risk of losing all credibility, uh, I got into weather uh, as an unplanned career move. Uh, I studied transportation engineering. My degrees are in civil engineering, and I started working in research at the Federal Highway Administration in the traffic safety research area doing crash analyses. And one day I came into the office and my boss said, oh, you're going to now work on rural intelligent transportation systems. <laughs> and I said, okay. Uh, this was in the mid-90s when the whole idea of, of applying technology to the highway environment was brand new and everybody was really excited about bringing cameras and variable message signs to the highways. And uh, most of that work was being done in urban areas, and I got stuck, so to say, in the rural ITS area. And uh, having then reached out to the state transportation professionals to talk about where there might be opportunities to bring transportation uh, and in, in technology into the rural environment, everybody kept coming back to the weather. The biggest challenge in rural areas at that time was, was how do we deal with and how do we use technology to address the weather challenges that we have in rural areas? So um, that, was, that, was, that was how I got into it. Um, I, was, um, I never really thought much about it, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, but uh, it, it, it was a, um, a wonderful opportunity and I, I was then able to uh, build it out into a much broader program, certainly beyond just the rural environment. And you heard Paul mention some of his uh, background. So let me just give you some of his background. He has a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in civil engineering from the University of Maryland. He's the chair of the Road Weather Committee at the National Academy's Transportation Research Board. And he spent over 30 years at the Federal Highway Administration Road Weather Management Program. So uh, we're talking to someone that I've, I've been familiar with throughout my career in the meteorological circles and the American Meteorological Society and so forth. So uh, it's really, it's by happenstance that we have you as a guest because Paul and I are collaborating on something else uh, later in the year, I guess next year. And so I just thought this would be an awesome topic for Weather Geeks. We've had the Federal uh, Aviation Administration on 
FAA. And I think people are more familiar with FAA than they may be with FHWA. So give our listeners a little sort of 101 on what the role of that agency is. Because again, I think people fly and they hear FAA and so forth. And some may be familiar with FHWA, but others may not. So give us a little sort of primer on the agency. All right, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because there are certainly differences between how the FAA and the and FHWA work. Uh, Federal Highway Administration, their primary role is to execute the Federal Aid Highway Program. So we don't, we, or we, I say we, I'm, I'm still sort of sometimes tend to put my I do that with knots all of the time. <laughs> <laughs> they, the Federal Highway Administration does not own and operate any of the nation's highways. Even the interstate highway system is owned, managed, and, and maintained by the State Departments of Transportation. So at the Federal Highway Administration, their, their responsibilities are to uh, provide the uh, revenues from the federal gas tax to go back to the states uh, as a portion uh, by formula to go to help the states uh, build, operate uh, their highway system. So where in the 60s and 70s, certainly the biggest emphasis was on building roads. Uh, over the more recent decades, the focus has been on, okay, how do we better operate and maintain what has been built. And so there's now a role as well in terms of how to, how to better operate the system and, the, and where technology can come in. So there's, there's a research component to the Federal Highway Administration. Some portion of the, the, the highway dollars are used for research. And that's where we would get into, um, when I was working there, we would get into programs to look at things like weather and what, and, and, and we would invest in the high risk research programs that the state DOTs, Departments of Transportation, would not be able to afford to, to research uh, and explore um, new ways of, of doing things, how to, you know, do, to uh, do applied research to help this, the, the states and also cities, counties, local agencies better operate and maintain the system. So that's where the, the niche then was on where does, what's the weather component to that is where I got involved. In. And that's a great pivot to a geek out. Let's geek out for a second. This is weather geeks. Let's weather <laughs> geek out. I mean, I think people intuitively, because we drive and, and know the challenges with weather, which gets raining here in the Atlanta area right now, and I'm, you know, that's obviously going to ramp up the hazard and traffic and accidents and so forth. But let's just, I want to march through some, just going to throw some weather terms out there and give us your sort of a reaction from a transportation perspective. So the first one is rain. What are the challenges there in diagnosing and predicting rain impacts on traffic and transportation? Right. Certainly, um, that's rain is a good example of uh, impacts because you can actually have uh, anytime it rains, anytime there's any type of precipitation, it's going to slow traffic down. Uh, it's going to it's going to reduce friction uh, on the pavement surface. Uh, so there's going to be a need, and, and as people you know, people should slow down, but it does also mean uh, it can result in higher congestion. Uh, and uh, um, more crashes because people are um, maybe they're they're driving like they drive when everything is dry and clear and not realizing that they need a little bit more distance between them and the vehicle in front of them and and they and you have more crashes um, when it rains uh, again in, in addition to the um, increase in um, congestion because people just move more slowly. What about just the extreme rainfall that leads to flooding? Are there challenges there to roadway infrastructure, bridges even? Uh, well, not so much bridges, but I, I, I know sometimes when I'm traveling on the uh, interstates and so forth, 
I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll even to myself say, boy, I bet this area floods when there's a lot of rain around. And I'll sometimes even see a little meteorological instrumentation uh, on some bridge overpasses and so forth. So um, do you think a lot in your world about sort of the extreme rainfall aspects from a transportation standpoint? Absolutely. And, and again, this gets back to um, needing to inform drivers about adverse weather conditions and those extreme weather events and, the, and the, particularly the heavy rainfalls um, are a, a specific case where we need to let people know uh, what's going on out there so they can take the appropriate action. And so uh, the increase in, in precipitation or um, intensity of, of rain is going to cause more flooding events uh, and it's going to potentially lead to you know, very high risk uh, environments where people are maybe driving down roads where they shouldn't be. And, and the, of course, we have, uh, the Weather Service has great um, approach to things through, the, uh, through their programs, like the, the turnaround, don't drown message, which is a really nice way to, to stress the importance. But the problem with something as, uh, on that level is it's not specific to me when I'm going down the, this road or that road or, and when I'm traveling. And so the need for timely, accurate, relevant, and actionable information about when, where those conditions occur on the highway are really what, what is most useful to help save lives. Now, I want to talk about something that we personally experienced here in the Atlanta area back the, right before I was going to preside over the AMS meeting in Atlanta in 2013 during my year as president the snowpocalypse event or whatever they were calling it here, which really wasn't a major snow event. It was two inches or so. But what, what happened in that event, we get snow obviously here in Atlanta, but we were in a situation where the temperatures were well below freezing that particular day. So things that were falling as snow was freezing immediately on the road. So what are the challenges and opportunities in terms of road conditions and transportation as it relates to freezing conditions? Because uh, it's a large part of our country that deals with that here in the South, we occasionally do. Mm -hmm. Right, and that's exactly uh, highlights the difference between weather and road weather. You know, what's happening in the atmosphere may be completely different to what's happening on the road surface, and and it, it creates it's a whole different domain that needs new different types of processes to understand how that weather is going to affect the roads. And so, uh, things like pavement temperature becomes uh, the most one of the most critical, if not the most critical, piece of information during the winter time to know whether that snow when it hits the pavement. Is it going to melt? Is it going to freeze? You know, it, even or or if you have a freezing rain event, is that liquid precipitation going to freeze as soon as it hits the roads? And uh, that's where you you it creates this this uh, specific area within the weather community of of that boundary layer. And I use boundary as the actual physical boundary between the surface and the and the air, not things that are kilometers above oh, me. The first one in, in, in meteorology, the boundary layer for the Weather Geeks listeners is generally that first zero to one kilometer layer of the atmosphere where the surface influences the atmosphere. But I, I know his use of boundary layer is a little bit different. Right. So we're looking at what's happening on the ground. And, and again, what's happening, you know, whether the snow uh, accumulates on the grass next to the pavement versus melting because the pavement happens to have been warmed by the sun that day, there's a difference there. And knowing how that's going to play out is, is extremely critical so that particularly from the, again, from the maintenance, highway maintenance side, they know what actions to take. And the idea of not just waiting until 
that snow falls or the ice forms to then do something about it. But to be proactive uh, is, is absolutely the, the way to go. And, and the states are doing great and, and, and the maintenance community is doing a great job doing that because they have road weather information, because they have forecasts of not just of the atmosphere, but of the pavement surface. So they know 10, 12, 20 hours out, I, I'm, my pavement temperature is going to go below freezing. I need to apply chemicals to the road prior to this event so that we don't have these um, the accumulation and, and then the resulting crashes and, and such because of it. And that was a big sort of sort of solution or set after the, our Atlanta event. I know our state government and others really invested heavily in new systems to get at those. And I think you mentioned something that may be a little bit of a surprise to our listeners. You've mentioned the term road weather. Uh, and I'm certainly familiar with that, but it, it is kind of a sub-discipline. Talk about now in weather, we actually, part of what we do is we take observations and we do modeling in order to understand things. How do we get observations for road weather and, there, and, and is there any modeling involved? Yes, uh, and yes. <laughs> the, the, actually, we, again, this, this was uh, a solution that was learned in the 90s when some state DOT uh, maintenance professionals went to Europe, uh, particularly to uh, Scandinavia, to see that they were putting uh, weather sensors uh, next to the roadway and into the roadway to measure pavement temperature and, and, and the, the, the conditions at and near the roadway surface. Uh, and, and they were able to use that, those observations to feed into uh, models, particularly heat balance models that, that you can then use to predict how that pavement temperature is going to change over time. And uh, again, that, that, like you say, that's a sub-discipline within, certainly within the weather world. And, uh, and so, there, so there's the need for those observations. And, and getting back to your point about Georgia, um, the reason why the state may not have invested in them prior to it because they're expensive. And like you say, you don't have a whole lot of, of these types of events in Georgia. So the, 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 the DOT is um, pressed with a difficult decision. Do I invest a lot of money into this uh, network of fixed sensors along the roadside uh, and all of this equipment to, to maintain the road for events that may only happen three or four times a, a season? Um, and the answer obviously is yes, you need to invest in these bec and because you can't afford to have the snowpocalypse events and have the city shut down and lead to the, to the not only the crashes, but the hazards and, the, and the, the danger that it puts people under if they're stranded on the roadway for hours at a time. So there's definitely, uh, and there is a big network of now, of, of sensors since, since the 90s, the state DOTs have invested in uh, the, uh, a big network of sensors along the roadside to measure the, the, the road conditions. Uh, and it, it, it continues to advance where originally it was pucks in the pavement, we would call it, which is the actual sensors embedded in the pavement. Uh, now you can measure that um, through non-intrusive sensors on the roadside by pointing infrared beams down to the pavement temp to the pavement, you can measure temperature, and it's a lot easier uh, to do that. And so there's a lot of, a lot of uh, technology out there, and it's being used uh, by a number of agencies to, uh, it started out as a, as a source for winter maintenance decisions, but then we recognize over time that, hey, this, this is, there's a wealth of information in these observations. How do we use it for other purposes as well? As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? 
maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. We are back on the Weather Geeks podcast, and I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. And I'm talking with Paul Pisano uh, of the many uh, forms. I'm going to talk about uh, his former, I mean, his previous career at Federal Highway, but I'm going to now lead into what he's currently up to. And we're talking about navigating the challenges of weather and transportation. I know right now you're currently working with the Transportation Research Board. I'm certain then unless you're in our community or in your community, most people listening to Weather Geeks right now have no idea what that is. So give us a little 101 on that. Right, so the Transportation Research Board, as you said, is part of the National Academies, and it is, it's a huge uh, group that uh, leads, is the leader in, across the, the board for, for transportation research. Uh, bringing to, it brings together uh, professionals across the, the transportation community, mostly engineers, but also uh, certainly um, sociologists, psychologists, uh, technology professionals, and uh, looks at where do we need to be focusing our research efforts, uh, again, across the full breadth of the transportation life cycle, from planning to design of the highways, construction of the highways, operating the the what's been built and maintaining what's been built so there's 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 a, a huge amount of research in all of those areas that goes on and the and trb the transportation research board is the body that helps bring all of that together um, i liken it to the american meteorological society where ams brings together public private academia to look at weather trb does the same to look at transportation, but, but more focusing specifically on the research side of it. And then there's other bodies that focus more on the applicate. Well, they, they, they work on app, app, applying the research results as well, certainly, but other bodies are also looking at, at how to, to apply. One, one, qu one question that comes to mind, and it kind of circles back to the previous conversation we had before the break, you were talking about road weather and sensors in roads beside the roads and modeling uh, heat balance or surface balance models, so forth. I recall a few guests that we've had on Weather Geeks in the past, actually from more of the private sector, were dealing more with sort of the other aspect of transportation railway, which is that now cars have sensors in them. Uh, they have, you know, temperature sensors. They have things that can keep them on the roads and so forth. Uh, does the transportation, or does your board think about that aspect of the problem too, in terms of how information that may be in our cars or maybe in a truck fleet sensor system and others can be utilized, or are you primarily focused more on the infrastructure side? Uh, absolutely, looking at, at the vehicle side of it as well. And, and as we've talked about the use of technology, uh, the, so much work had been going on putting the technology on the, within the infrastructure, 
And at the same time now, we've seen the technology boom on the vehicle side of it. And we've always, since day one, we've looked at where the opportunities lie to utilize the data that these vehicles are collecting. We, we did some studies uh, to assess that data. And we found, you know, certainly temperature uh, is available, air, that's air temperature, it's not pavement temperature. Um, and, we and we learned that there tends to be a warm bias in the vehicle um, as might be expected, but it varies from, from vehicle manufacturer to manufacturer. And so there's need to better understand, you know, what is that data telling us and how good is the data to be used for, uh, to fill in the gap, certainly, because you'd have, you know, tens, uh, maybe 100 kilometers between fixed sensors on the roadway, there's a lot of weather happening between those sensors. How can we use the vehicle to be that source of information between of what's happening? But, but there's a lot of great work. In fact, there's a company in Sweden that is um, has a, a software solution to use data off of the vehicle to determine pavement surface conditions, so slickness. I mean, it's, it's a surrogate for friction, which is a super critical piece of information from the highway community. What, you know, if, if you know what you're friction is that it tells you what actions you need to take to, to treat the road, but also what, um, what, whether the vehicles need to be slowing down and taking some specific action. And so there's, there's a, a wealth of opportunity there. The, the challenge with the, on the automated vehicle side of things, the connected vehicle, is that most of this work is happening with the, strictly within the private sector. So um, there's less accessibility to that data. Um, to be able to to look at it and play around with it. Um, there, I know there's a lot of great work going on within the private sector to look at this, but it's not as readily available to the, the community at large. Um, but we did work with uh, a lot of state DOTs to put additional sensors on their fleets to measure pavement temperature, uh, air temperature visibility, those sorts of things. And um, we've done a lot, we, we within the community are continuing to look at how to make use of that data to um, help in the, the decision support for those who operate and maintain, but then also those who use the system. Now, I know our paths have recrossed because in 2021, early 2021, you're planning the, I guess, virtual conference of the TRB. Right. I know there are going to be various sessions and so forth. I'll be a part of one of them. Uh, what are your, first of all, is this a meeting you have every year? And I assume it is. This is called the annual meeting. And then what are the goals or what are you trying to achieve with that? Are you talking just to people within this community or are you talking to stakeholders, policymakers? What, what are you up to with this virtual meeting? Right. So, so the Transportation Research Board annual meeting is the transportation uh, conference uh, across the board. Uh, more than 10,000 people come together um, to uh, hear presentations and meet through a very, a very large committee structure to try to figure out what's going on where. Um, and it's always, it was always the biggest challenge for the few of us who were in the road weather world. TRB week and AMS week would often overlap. And we always had that challenge of trying to decide, what, are we going to go to TRB or are we going to go to AMS this year? But uh, the, um, the, the, this, within the road weather com committee, we're sponsoring one of uh, a lectern session or a, a panel discussion to bring experts together to look at what's going on within the weather and climate research world that we on the transportation side may not even be aware of and how do you convey that information to the transportation community so that we can 
figure out how to apply it to the transportation challenges. And so that's one, that's just one session within thousands that are going to be going on and where it normally is a one week conference um, because it's gone virtual this year, it's going to be a month. <laughs> They're holding wow. various committee meetings for the, in the first half of the month and then technical sessions the second half of the month. Um, so that gives people the opportunity to attend as many sessions as possible, uh, which is good because there's always you know, 50 concurrent activities and you want to go to uh, you know, five of them and you can, never can. So um, I think this is an opportunity and it, it relates back to work that we did um, in the, again, in the early um, 2000s where we, we started this, uh, this conversation between the, the weather and transportation communities that was, was there, but not to the level that, that it needed to be to really look at the, where, where the, the opportunities lie. And so uh, Federal Highway invested in development of a maintenance decision support system and brought together five of the uh, labs, national labs on the weather side that had been doing great work, but wasn't getting applied to the highway world. So that's, that's like N NCAR, uh, the National Severe Storms Lab, um, Oceanic and Atmospheric Research, all the, the, those bodies, uh, MIT Lincoln Labs, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers, uh, engineer, their, their winter lab. Um, brought all those people together to really think through how can we do great uh, new new research to affect the transportation world, and that's what we want to have that conversation again. We want to spark that that conversation now, uh, some 20 years later, to say, okay, what what else has been going on? Because there's there's again so much great research going on in the in the weather and climate world that we don't know about on the transportation side, and I want to try to foster that conversation. Uh, with you and and others uh, to um, figure out where where we can build on some of these great great achievements and if I may add to you had a guest on uh, Jimmy Sims uh, from NOAA spoke about the um, uh, AI and and where uh, there's great work going on in that area I think as well after listening to that podcast I'm thinking there's got to be some great road weather applications for AI and yet I I don't know that that we've really invested in that. So that's what I want to try to have that, try to figure out where, where the opportunities lie to, to do more great road weather research. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. We're back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard, and we're talking all about road weather opportunities and challenges with Paul Paisano. This last segment, Paul, I want to kind of pick your brain on a couple of different areas. One, I mean, and you kind of hinted at this in your previous answers, but I mean, you, you're really kind of at the forefront of this field 
I mean, and you just mentioned AI and shout out to Dr. Jamie Sims from NOAA because I know she's doing quite a bit in that area. No, and I, I agree. I think I, I wrote an article in Forbes, Paul, I guess about a year or so ago now asking experts across the weather spectrum, what are uh, sort of the key opportunities that they see going forward in meteorology and AI machine learning just kept coming up, kept coming up. So I think it is going to cross into your world and others as well. But what are talking specifically about weather, what are the key challenges that you see? The, I mean, the things that you need that if you had an unlimited budget and know the technologies there, the, the know-hows there, I mean, what would be on your wish list sort of from a zero to five-year time frame to really get your community where it needs to be? I mean, what are, what are some wish list items for your community? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there, there's, again, a number of different things that, we, that could be pursued. One is, is just an area of observations. You know, better utilize and better understand uh, how these these mobile observations can be used to feed into uh, these Im- impact-based decision support systems. So I think there's there's a lot of work in that area that needs to take place. Let me let um, me pause you for one second because again, I know what you mean and you know what you mean. But I, there may be some listeners of Weather because we have a very broad listener base. And shout out to all our listeners out there for hanging in there with us as we get through COVID and have to tape this and our basement studios and so forth and occasional audio glitches. So just thank you all for staying with us. But when you say a decision support system to the average person that may not be in our world, what, what is a decision support system? Okay. Uh, good question. Um, I'm thinking again, what we've done on the, the winter maintenance side is that when we developed the maintenance decision support system, it says not only it, it, it's a system that, that brings the weather uh, forecasts, and, and applies it to a decision tree from a winter maintenance manager's perspective. So I spoke earlier about pre-treating roads before a, a rain or snow event occurs um, to keep the ice from bonding to the pavement. In order to know when and where to apply that material, uh, you need a forecast. And, and it's not just that it's going to snow, but again, as you also, as I mentioned earlier, you need to know, is that snow going to stick to the pavement? When is it going to happen? How long is it going to happen? When is it going to end? So that I know how much material I need to put down on which roads at what time. So it's turning weather information into a decision decision, a weather, a transportation related decision, treating when to treat the roads. But there's, there's so much work. And that is a second area that I want to talk about, which is um, just the, the breadth of decision making that occurs, whether you're the, the winter maintenance manager, the, the traffic manager trying to uh, provide uh, appropriate traveler information to the traveling community, the highway to the to road users about when and where to travel. Uh, it's the, the, the travelers themselves, like as we discussed earlier, knowing whether or not they should be driving down a road that may be flooded. It's, it, it, it's the need for turning weather information into a transportation-based decision. Yeah. So, and, and there's still so much more work than, that, that we can be doing in this area for the, all the different types of decision makers that are out there. One thing that I, you know, as I've listened to you talking, you were talking about AI, you know, I, some of my own personal research in my research group at the University of Georgia is in urban weather and climate. And we've been exploring things like using people's cell phones and information to kind of get dense information on, uh, I guess, what you would call crowdsourcing. Um, 
are those kinds of areas things that you're that could be of value? I mean, people have the, again. You talked about that there's potential information from cars and so forth, but I'm I'm, I'm thinking about potential crowdsourcing applications and information. You know, the MPing is something that the National Weather Service, NOAA, uses where people sort of record on that app. And by the way, if you don't have MPing, go download MPing. MPing. Uh, I think uh, MPeg, is it MPing or MPeg? I think it's MPing. Uh, it's an app that you can download and you can report drizzle conditions or rain conditions or hail. Uh, I use it on my uh, phone as well. Um, are you all using or thinking about using things like crowdsourcing and those types of things? Yes, and that, that data is certainly being used just to monitor traffic flow at all, but it also is being used um, within the weather, uh, the road weather world as well. And, um, but this gets back to one of the things that we were alluding to when we talked about FAA versus Federal Highway, and I, and I spoke about how there is no federal operational um, authority for the road weather world. So you end up with a very distributed network of private sector and public sector services, um, which it, that's the way the world is. And so we just deal with it, but it creates a lot of challenges because there could be uh, a great opportunity to be, to be doing this crowdsourcing and, and pulling these observations off of phones or, or vehicles, but where that data goes, how it gets utilized, how it gets ultimately turned into a decision, some type of decision support and gets disseminated to the public, there is no, like, there is no aviation weather uh, program. There isn't, you know, there's no, there's no single authority that's going to take that in and, and do that work. So you end up having a very distributed uh, system out there uh, and potentially disconnected system. And so there's, there's, there are things happening, but it's not uniform um, and it, and it cre can create some information consistency problems as well, because you're getting a lot of different information from a lot of different sources that may be inconsistent and conflicting well, that was a, that was actually interesting because i wanted to kind of go there with the next question you kind of let, led me into it this was something i've noticed during the covid and coronavirus challenge that we've dealt with as well uh, you've got you had all these groups different groups with their models of covid 19 and virus spread and you know peak times for hospital beds and so forth but everyone had their own approaches whereas in the weather world we have a national uh, center for environmental prediction. And so there's sort of a corralling of all of this information in the same sense. So it sounds like you're dealing with a very similar issue in that there's a lot of things going on, but there's no sort of endpoint that then can kind of uh, synthesize this information, the useful information. So uh, mm -hmm. perhaps this is something that I'm sure will be a discussion point going forth in your, your conference and your meeting in January, but going ongoing as well. Um, as we draw to a close here, what, how, how is your community thinking about or concerned with or dealing with the, the specter and here and now problem of climate change? Right. So that's certainly something that uh, we are, are well aware of. And like you say, the, the, to the extent that that leads to more extreme weather events, um, we need to have the build in resiliency into our world and think about um, not only how to deal with the, the, the types of events that we're familiar with, but the beyond, you know, the, the, the more, um, the heavier snowfall events, the more frequent events, um, how do we, or the, the fact that instead of snow, it might be an icing event because of the way the, there's some warming going on in, in the different atmospheric layers. So um, there, it, there's, there's certainly awareness within the operations and maintenance side of the transportation world. I know there's, there's a lot of work going on in the planning and design side of when, with regards to climate. The biggest challenge there up, up until fairly recently has been the um, 
uncertainty surrounding the climate models. I mean, there was so much uncertainty that it was that it was really difficult to then make transportation decisions because the, you'd look at some of the, the the model output and it would say, well, it's probably going to be warmer here, but it might be colder. <laughs> it's like, okay, wait, what, you know, what, what is the answer there? What do I do about that? And until, or now that as we're seeing the regional climate models get better and downscaling happening, uh, that's going to, that's going to bring in more confidence into what's going to be happening on the climate side to um, help us figure out, okay, what does that mean? What do we need to be doing on, on the transportation side then? Yeah, Matt, you just mentioned downscaling. This is something I deal with quite a bit for the viewers that aren't familiar with that term. Uh, a climate model operates on much larger scales. So uh, the, if you think about the pixels in your cell phone, there are these little megapixels that make up your picture. And the more pixels you have on your phone, the more detailed the picture is because it's smaller. Um, so you sort of take that to the modeling world. Uh, the footprint of a particular pixel of a climate model, if you will, may be the size of an entire um, quarter of a state. And so you get a blob that's representing temperature and rainfall in the model over North Georgia. <laughs> How do you make a decision for a census block in Atlanta? Because it's, they're, not, they're mismatched resolution-wise. So we have these ways of downscaling the information from those larger scales to the smaller scales using statistical techniques, dynamical modeling, and so forth. So um, that has always been one of the particular challenges with making climate model information useful for people like Paul who want to make decisions on the scale of a city or a network of roads and so forth. So that's a, that's a, that's a big challenge. So I really appreciate that you, you brought that up in your remarks. Um, Paul, where can people find out more about what you and your organization are up to? Are you personally, are you on Twitter, social media, websites? Um, I am on, on Twitter as Pipas, at Pipazano, although I actually don't do a whole lot of tweeting about road weather. I should, um, I don't have as good an answer for that as I should. Uh, we do have a, a there's a website for um, the road weather committee and I can, um, for, at TRB and I can no, we provide can do, that. Yeah, so it's the road weather committee and it's TRB, Google that if you can and, um, and find that. And I'll come back to you because I am going to now do something we always do and maybe you'll have it by the time I'm done with this. It's time for our geek of the week. We like to highlight a scientist superstar, a great geologist, or a weather weenie at the end of every podcast. This episode's Geek of the Week is Robert Oliveris. Rob is from Glendale, California, and is a utility engineer and an official weather guy for his department there. Even though the Los Angeles metro area doesn't see many storms outside of the wet season, Rob is a proud storm spotter for the National Weather Service. When storms actually do roll through Southern California, they are really quite spectacular. If you are someone you know should be the next Geek of the Week or Weather Geek of the Week, as we like to say, uh, feel free to check out our social media pages. Any, any final parting shots or words you'd like to say, Paul? Uh just thank you very much for for this opportunity. It's great. I, I was thinking that I had my list of all things I want to talk about. We only scratch. I feel like we only scratched the surface because I think there's so much more that we could have discussed. But this was great, and I really appreciate the, the opportunity to to get the road weather word, word out there. Yeah, and, and and you know, whenever I hear a guest say that, that just means a part two of the podcast episode. So note to self and to producers. Thank you so much for joining us, Paul, on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia.
One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.